0: Thank you for tuning in to Bible Storming Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, our aim is to help you be intentional in how you think about the Bible. It is more than just reading the words. It is about diving deep into the text. So let's study together. Here is your host, Daniel Webster.
1: Hey everybody, Daniel here. Just dropping in to remind you to check out the first part of this three-part series. If you haven't heard it yet, go check out part one of this series on the argument from morality for the existence of God. Now, if you have listened to the first part, here's just a quick reminder that the argument goes something like this. If God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties are not real. Objective moral values and duties are real. Therefore, God exists. Now, this episode will deal with the second premise of this argument, which states that objective moral values and duties are real. So, without further ado, here's part two, and remember to stay tuned for part three. Discuss maybe what the atheist's main response, the the most popular, most frequent response of the atheist would be to the second premise that objective moral values and duties are real.
2: Well, if they disagree with it, they're saying there's no such thing as objective moral value or duty. Right, And that's a very bitter pill to swallow. That's what Richard Dawkins, for example, does. He just says Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as evil and good objectively. Then he tries to get people to do the right thing and promote atheism, which (laughs) is ironic, but that's really all that a person can do if he agrees with the first premise but disagrees with the second he's going to have to admit there's no such thing as objective moral value and duty mm-hmm. just a, a a matter of maybe even universal preference but maybe not even universal we may just have to say these people like to do things this way we like to do things another way you know this was the situation when cultural anthropologists first started describing eskimo eskimo culture back in the 19th century, and they were finding that Eskimos would expose their children to the elements. If if there's a girl baby born, the girl is not going to grow up and be a hunter and help provide food for the for the people. So they would do that. They did wife swapping as a matter of hospitality. There were things about Eskimo culture that shocked the anthropologists. Hmm. And the temptation might be, to just say, well, that's if you're going to be a, a moral relative, relativist about it and just say that's how they operate. And we, that's their we like to do things differently. But I think most of us would, would tend to say, you shouldn't just expose your children. You should <laughs> move to a warmer climate or you should try to do something <laughs> different to where Anything you but don't that. feel the same pressure. Anything but that. Right. And so moral relativism. Is, is the the alternative to the second premise or mm-hmm. some kind of subjectivism or relativism to say right and wrong is a matter of personal or group preference and and maybe a time honored preference it may be something that's developed over the centuries, but that's really all it is that the difference for example, between helping the poor and exploiting the poor is a matter of preference just as is my preference between chocolate ice cream or strawberry ice cream Mm -hmm. you see there's really no difference ultimately for the subjectivist or the relativist
1: so what what he has to say then is that and and not to be too graphic but but that raping and then murdering a young child is morally on the same plane as giving that child a five dollar bill or or Showing that chi- giving that t- a child some training that will help them later right. on in life. What they're forced to say is that, morally speaking, those two actions are on the same plane, that there is no good or bad, there is no right or wrong.
2: That's right. And if they arise from biological adaptation, and morality is just cells working together, no spirituality associated with it, either on God's part or man's part, then... Who could blame somebody for just following his instinct and doing whatever he desires to do? And of course, I'm claiming it's not just instinct, but from an evolutionary perspective, let's just say it's, it's my instinct to rape and kill and to take whatever I want from anyone who's less powerful than I am. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, who could blame me on right. an evolutionary relativist perspective?
1: Because there is no objective standard. It's just whatever you think versus whatever they think.
2: Right, and of course, I don't want to be cruel toward the atheists and to su- suggest that atheists behave this way. We're thankful that they don't. Absolutely. What we're saying, what we're saying is, as much as we might admire and respect many of the things that atheists do, they do not have a rational basis for the objectivity of these norms.
1: Right, and I think that is a great point that that when we talk about atheists and, and, and some of their viewpoints, what well, we're not attacking the atheist, him or herself, we're, we're not attacking, attacking the person, What we're saying that maybe th- there's some things to think about regarding their positions on certain matters, like the existence of God, and and like in this instance, morality and its, and its objective standard.
2: Right, so, and so there is no objective meaning to life then. Absolutely, no, yeah. If there's nothing that's objectively good about life, it's a very hopeless outlook, isn't it?
1: Oh and that's okay that leads right into what I am wanting to talk about next so I first heard Caleb discuss this topic in a lecture on the polishing the pulpit 365 website I think it's 365.polishingthepulpit.com if, if you want to check that out and it's, it's a, su- a subscription based service and there are so many great sermons so many great lectures on there.
2: one of and which... I would just mention about the about the subscription at our congregation the the church treasury pays for our personal subscriptions. So, for example, our elders have said, if you log on up to uh, at least one time a month, if you log Mm -hmm. on at least one time a month, then the church will pay for your subscription. And it's not very much. I think for our congregation, if we subscribe, I think it's a dollar a month for each person. And so your congregation, if you're a member of the church or, a member of a church where they are interested in studying the bible i think it would be a very worthwhile thing to try to subscribe to ptp 365 i was just going to put a little plug in there
1: <laughs> oh absolutely i i absolutely agree and if you know if you're if even if, if you're a preacher and you want to just dive it's you know sometimes as as a preacher you miss getting preached to <laughs> and i think that's right. one of the best things about ptp 365 is that you just have an almost unlimited number of sermons right at your fingertips at all times that you can listen to, dive into, and just study and, and try to become more like Jesus and in, in your personal life. So I think the three 365 honestly is, and we're not getting paid any, anything for promoting this, but that that is honestly one of the best things that you can invest in to grow your faith. And and so absolutely, I think that's a that's a great point. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up. So but but I actually heard Caleb talk about this on on a lecture on 365. He was talking about the morality argument for the existence of God. And I want to read you this quote. This is from his lecture, and and this will lead into the next thing I want to ask Caleb about. So this is a quote from, from Caleb's lecture. He said, if someone's going to object to that, and this is talking about the second premise, they're going to have to say that maybe there are moral values and duties in some sense but they're just either the imaginations of our evolutionary brains that have reached the point where they can express themselves in moral terms and do some self-reflection. But there's really nothing to it other than chemical reactions that help us to survive. Or people are going to have to say, oh, that there are moral values and duties. But instead of being objective, they are the constructs of the individual or that they are the constructs of our culture. And you go on to say that none of these explanations, as we have seen, is satisfactory. So, what I want to ask you about is what we've kind of been talking about for the last few minutes, and that is this. If the atheist accepts that without God, there are no objective moral values and duties, and so then he, he as an atheist, he also must accept the second premise, or, or must deny the second premise, that there are therefore no objective moral values and duties. Could an atheist argue That if he accepts that he he is on, and this is I I would say this is begging the question because he's he's assuming atheism when when he makes this this point. But just just for the sake of argument, say that he says yes, I'm going to accept that there are no objective moral values and duties. They are completely relative. That they are subjective, and and I'm willing to accept that. So I want to get your your opinion on that in just a moment, but for just a second, I want to point out what, what, you t- what you said at the very end of what you were talking about, about basically what kind of world that leads to. So Friedrich Nietzsche is, is a very famous man. He, he, was, he was the man who proclaimed famously and, and maybe first, I don't, I don't know, but he proclaimed that God is dead. That that's really the main thing that he's known for, at least in my mind, is the proclamation that God is dead. So in doing so, in in, in proclaiming that and in in developing his thoughts on God and and his lack of existence in his mind and what that meant for our society, Nietzsche came to the realization that without God, there are no objective moral values and duties. So in his mind, there were, there, there was no good. There was no bad. There was no right. There was no wrong. So intellectually he acknowledged that. And I admire that in him that, that when he saw that, he was honest enough with himself to admit that. Intellectually, he acknowledged that. But practically, in his personal life, he couldn't live like it. I, I heard right. a story about, about him that shortly before he... So this drove him insane. All of this that was going on in his mind, his struggles, it drove him insane. But shortly before he, he went insane, was admitted to an institution, he was, in, he was in Italy. I think it was Torino, Italy. And there, there was a man who was just... Mercilessly abusing his horse. He was trying to get him to move this wagon and he was just beating his horse up. And Nietzsche saw this man and he, he was, and Nietzsche started sobbing and he th- ran to the horse, threw himself around the horse's neck and tried to protect it from the blows of, the, of this cruel master. So, so even Nietzsche, the, the, the man who was this, this hard line atheist who proclaimed that God is dead, and intellectually he realized that that meant. There was no good or evil. There was no good or bad. Even he, in his practical life, couldn't live like that. Even he had to say he, that when he saw something happening like that, it was bad. It, it was wrong in a practical sense that in the real world, he couldn't live like that.
2: So Right. It's one thing to espouse it in a paper or right. in an academic setting. It's another thing to actually try to live it out.
1: Absolutely, and and I think that's. And I was about to pass this to you. I wanted to get your thoughts on on that. But then, mainly going back to what I said just just a minute ago, what, what would you say to the atheist, the skeptic, who says, "Okay, yes, I am willing to accept that there are no moral objective moral values and duties. It's just whatever I think versus whatever you think, and I'm willing to accept that." Would you just say that? Do you really want to live in a world like that? Or would you, would you have a different response?
2: I'm, I don't know. I, I, would, I would. That's, a, that's a rare to re- position to take. I yeah, should point that I, out. I would probably try to gauge the situation and see what the person's attitude was like and right. how I would want to talk to him. But one way to respond would be to say, what if I were to hold a gun to your head and say, I think that it's, it would be good for me to kill you. What would you say? and if the person says well i would try to say you shouldn't do that i would say well what if i say that in my culture we kill everybody that has your first name and that's our practice and if the person says well it would be against the law and i would say well I'm, I'm talking about what's moral i'm not talking about what's legal right for us it's it's right to kill you and if the person is honest with himself i think he's going to have to say that it would be objectively wrong for somebody to kill him for a reason like that. Hmm. And so at least at that level, people don't wanna be abused by others who have some preference against them. And I think we could look to cases of racism or sexism or whatever, uh, these kinds of cases where a person might exploit somebody else when that Mm -hmm. happens we rightly recoil and say people ought not be the victims of things like that Mm -hmm. and so a person doesn't want to be mistreated that way and would appeal not only to the law of the land but let's say in a case where the law of the land might endorse such abuses beyond that to moral principles that may or may not be codified in the law of the land
1: So hmm, you see some of the stuff you're talking about has has raised a, a thought in my mind. It's it's something I didn't come up with, but I think it's it's a really interesting thing. And that is a lot of these arguments that and a lot or a lot of arguments in general that are for the existence of God are, in my mind at least, about raising what might be called the intellectual price tag of being an atheist. Mm-hmm. Or you, you could say that about any position that an argument against it is is about raising the intellectual price tag. In other words, it's about raising the level of things that you have to accept in order to take that position when the evidence points in the other direction, and we, we might just say informally that it's a better world if we accept the existence of right. God in in arenas like morality and, and other things like that sure so I just thought that was an interesting point to bring up at that point, that the intellectual price tag of being an atheist is exceptionally high, at least in my mind, where accepting that view or accepting that worldview that God does not exist has incredible ramifications that are very scary in real life. Once, once you start to see them and think about how it would look if everybody just accepted that, like Friedrich Nietzsche said, that God is dead.
2: Right. And how could you tolerate a view in your own mind? How could you hold on to a view that ultimately suggests that there's nothing at bottom that's actually right or wrong? Right. How could you live with it? I, I certainly agree. And I think that's a very uh, effective way to appeal to people, to say, Absolutely. here's what your view leads to. Now, that may lead them to open their mind a little bit to say, I could be wrong about this, mm-hmm. and maybe I've maybe it sounded good to me, but when I think about the fruits of it, I want to reconsider and see if there's some evidence for Christianity. And, of course, a lot of people abuse Christianity and say that it has produced all kinds of abuses, but that's only when Christianity gets perverted and right. misapplied. But if we will take Christianity as being what it is, what the Bible presents it to be, then I think we'll find that it will definitely, as you said, make the world a better place.
1: Absolutely. And 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 we might just say that those abuses are truly abuses of Christianity. That's not what Christianity's about. It's about making this world a better place for all of us so that we can all go and, and live in a different place with God forever. And and I think it's it's something that I just thought about that I want to point out really quickly before we move on, is something like just, just another example of what we're talking about, about the consequences of this, is, is something like the racism that was and, and the, the slavery that was so abundant in, so we both live in the U.S., in, in the United States of America in, say, the 1800s and, and before that. So I think we, we can all agree that race-based slavery is, like that is objectively wrong. And we think that that is, is a disgusting thing to occur in the world and that it is morally wrong. But the atheist has to say that if, if he's taking this position that there is no God and therefore there are no objective moral values and duties, he has to say that something like that, something as disgusting as what the Nazis did, something as disgusting as the slavery that, that was in our nation just 200 years ago or so something like that is is not objectively morally wrong that it is simply wrong in our minds because we got to this point through evolution and through trying to preserve our species that that it's not objectively wrong it's just wrong in our minds and that's that's it what may even be something that
2: and may even be something that should be pursued as a way of promoting the overall strength of the race. Right. If you follow Nietzsche's philosophy of the Ubermensch or the Superman, then it seems that anything that an individual could do to promote the overall strength of humanity, even if that means weeding out some of the less powerful or less capable right. like, humans, I mean, easily least leads in, to something like mind. euthanasia. Right. So... So anything, if you think that you're stronger than somebody else, or you have, uh, you're smarter than somebody else, or that you should be in charge and you're capable of putting down competition to yourself, then anything that would serve that end would actually, in a strange way, turn out to be the moral thing to do. Right. But that's not what Christianity teaches.
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's a world that I think most people on earth would agree that they...